everybody. Welcome back to Looking for the Real God. This is Christy Lynn Wood. Today we're going to talk about biblical womanhood, how I used to define that term, and what I think it means now. had asked me to define biblical womanhood when I was 16, I would have looked around my friend's living room at all the different mothers and young women gathered there, and I would have told you that it meant that you were gentle and quiet, that you raised a large family, that you were submissive to your husband, that you were under authority, that you followed the leadership and headship of the men in your life. I would have told you that It was a gentle thing, like it was this just peaceful, quiet little voice and controlling your emotions and stuff like that. And I would have told you that, maybe I would have told you, maybe I would have hidden it from you, but I would have told you that I I didn't fit in. I didn't feel right. I didn't feel like I could be myself and be a godly woman, that I could be a biblical woman in that sense. I spent a good few years as my early teens just pretending to be somebody else. That I pretended I tried so hard to control my feisty emotions and my passionate spirit. I tried to have a quiet and gentle voice. I tried to just restrain my opinions and my thoughts, especially when I was in public with my other culty church friends. And it was something that I just felt like I wasn't right. There's something wrong about me. Like I'm not, I'm not the right kind of woman. And that was feelings that I continued to hold even after I started to allow the real Christy to come out. And I remember just feeling like I wasn't I wasn't right. There's something wrong with me. My brother got engaged to this girl when I was in my early 20s and she was perfect. I mean, she was everything a woman should be. And I remember him bringing her home to our house and she was just so sweet and so gentle. And so kind and so loving and so everything that a girl should be. And I was just so not her. And I was so jealous. Like I wanted to be like her and I wasn't. I was everything else. I mean, I was bold and I was opinionated and I was feisty and I was passionate. And I had these strong feelings all the time that I tried to keep down. I feel like I was Elsa half the time. I know it sounds funny, but like I would just control myself until all of a sudden it would just couldn't be controlled anymore. And then would just bust out and it would just always be destructive. It was always something destructive and my passion and my strength would come out. And so I just felt like I was wrong. There was something wrong with me. And this story today is, is going to cover quite a few years of my life because this, this path to freedom and healing was not quick. It's been a slow process. And much of the growth and the healing and the really just confidence in who I am has come in the last few years. It has not been an easy or a quick process at all. And so I want to take you just kind of through my journey of what I really believe that womanhood is these days. And as I have learned to just accept myself and the person that God's made me to be and be okay with that. And I would say that my my freedom journey really began after my children were born. We talked about this a little bit last week just how, wow, motherhood was not exactly what I thought it was going to be. And maybe I wasn't the greatest mom that I thought I was going to be. And maybe this was going to be a whole lot harder than I ever imagined. But there was a specific family camp at our church that we were at this year. And I 
The babies are pretty little still, little enough to need naps in the afternoons. And for some reason, they decided to put me and my family and like three other families in these kind of isolated cabins. And I think they were trying to be nice to us and make us closer to like the dining hall and stuff like that. But we were really far away from every other family at camp. And the other families in this little group of four cabins had older children that needed naps. And so it was basically me stuck in my little cabin every afternoon at nap time. And every evening when the kids had to go to bed, it was me. And my husband was a youth pastor, so he had to be out with his teenagers, his kids, that he was hanging out with. And it was me and my babies. And I was not okay. But I was still in the place and time where I felt like submission meant just restraining my opinions and my thoughts and my feelings. And so I was expecting my husband to read my mind and know that I was not okay. But, you know, that doesn't work that way. Men can't read minds. So our second afternoon at this camp, my husband came back to the cabin and I'm just sitting on the little porch by myself while the kids take your nap. And he's like, hey, are you okay? And of course, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. And he's like, is there anything you wanted to do, you know, this afternoon kind of thing? And I was like, well, I can't do anything because I'm stuck with the babies. Like, it is what it is. And I remember him looking at me and being like, Christy, I want to know your opinions. Like, I want to know your heart. I want to know what you want. I want to make that happen for you. And I can't do it if you don't tell me. And it was like this weird light bulb went off in my head. Like, a submissive wife does not have to have no opinions. Like, she can say what she wants to say kind of a thing. And I was like, wow. Oh, well. Are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm sure. And by now I've been married my husband for five, six years probably. And I knew that he was genuine. He was this really great guy who really wanted to know what I wanted. And he would try to make it work. He really would. And I said, I just want to go zip lining. And he was like, you want to go zip lining? Well, I'll watch the kids go zip lining. And I said, are you sure? He's like, yes. And so I got to go zip lining. And it was amazing. And I remember him looking at me and saying, Christy, I want your opinions. I want to hear your heart. And I was like, well, dude, I have a lot of opinions in here. Like, are you sure you want to know them? Because I have a lot. And I usually just stuff them down. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of feelings. I have a lot of opinions. And he was like, yeah, I want to know. It's like, okay, watch out because here they come. And that was like this moment of freedom for me. It was like the first step in that direction. And my poor husband, like, I think he must have had some kind of a little glimpse into the firecracker that he married when he married me. There must have been a little bit there somewhere. But he has done an amazing job at just pulling me out over the years and allowing me to be this strong and passionate woman that I am. And I just give him so much credit for that. Because I know that um, some men would be intimidated by that, but he has never been intimidated. He has always been just approving of my strength and my passion and my abilities. And I just really appreciate that about him. He's huge, huge part of my my healing. And so that was just this this moment where I was like, okay, all right, these feelings, these desires, these opinions, they're okay. I can have them. I can share them. And that doesn't mean I'm not, you know, being a good wife or a good woman. The next thing that happened was just happened a few years ago. I want to say like maybe three, four years ago. And I feel like this really just defined a moment for me. I was reading through the book of Judges, which that was just amazing in itself. And we talked about that in this podcast and I'm at my blog, just how much of Judges isn't really there because it's just taught to us in our Christianese Sunday school, but it's not actually in the Bible. A side note, you can go find that blog or those episodes on this podcast. I think they're called uh, Surprises in the Old Testament. There we go. 
But I was reading in Judges, and I got to the story of Deborah and Barak, or Barak. And I always remember being taught that Deborah was only in leadership because there was no godly men to be in leadership. And that God really wasn't okay with that, but he allowed it to happen because there was nobody else. And that it was almost this, like, curse. Like, there's no godly men to be in leadership. Ugh. So God put a woman in charge. But as I'm reading this story, I'm like, that is not here. Nothing like that is here in this in this passage. It's just this story of this woman who is a prophetess. She's wise. She's giving wisdom to Israel. God uses her to raise up uh, an army to fight the enemy. And it's it's a good story. There's nothing. There's no condemnation at all. No problem God has with her being a woman. And I was shocked. I was like, wow, are you kidding me? So I started looking it up online. And it was so interesting because you could find these more fundamental people saying it was wrong but there were also these other people saying no there's nothing in here that says it's wrong like she's a prophetess which means that god is giving her words of wisdom you can't just be a prophet by yourself you're a false prophet if you're a prophet by yourself but it's very clear that she is a prophetess from the spirit of god so god is the one that's chosen her and allowed her to have these words of wisdom and there's no condemnation for her being a woman at all so that night my husband and i went for a date and i said hey babe Tell me about Deborah and, and Barrett. You know, how does God feel about her being a woman? And this is so interesting to me because he was raised so opposite from me, not raised in church, not raised in conservative fundamentalism at all, but he did go to a more conservative Bible college for a year, but at a high school. And he looked at me and he said, oh, well, you know, she was only the leader because there weren't any good men. And I was like, wrong, wrong, look it up. And he was like, no, are you kidding me? And I was like, no, seriously, it's not there. And so we looked it up. It's not there. We did some research. He's like, oh, my word. Like, why are we still preaching this? Why are people teaching this if it's not actually in scripture? And that started me on this journey. What does the Bible actually teach about women? And how much of this stuff that we have been taught is just tradition? It's just stuff that we've been taught. It's just people's opinions that gets passed down. It's religious tradition. And so that was the beginning of my journey. What does God really feel about women? What is a woman's role truly? And what does the Bible actually say about women being in positions of leadership or, you know, not just being under a man kind of a thing? The next step in my own personal journey of understanding womanhood was something that happened in my small group and it actually happened right around the same time that I was discovering this whole stuff about Deborah and judges and I like I said before I have always tried to just kind of hold back my strength hold back my passion and it would tend to just explode out at kind of inopportune times like most of the time I'd be able to control myself and feel like I was just kind of more calm and you know womanly quote-unquote and then it would explode out in just times that would just people would get hurt and I would make mistakes and it was just, it was not good. And so I remember we were at small group and it was a new small group in our new church. Didn't know these people real well yet. And we were just kind of getting to the point where we were telling stories and our leaders were sharing their stories. And after our leader's wife shared her story, I just had a question and a couple comments that I made and she, she answered my questions or whatever. We were just kind of interacting. And afterwards, her husband is kind of wrapping it up. He just complimented her for not shutting down when Christy came on strong. And he used those words, Christy came on strong. 
and my heart sank. Like I literally could feel myself just curling up inside, just withdrawing and shutting down because I had just come across as strong. And that was a bad thing in my mind. That was something that I had been avoiding at all costs my whole life. Like, don't do this. Don't be strong. And so I just kind of like shut down and curled up and didn't say anything for the rest of small group. And on the way home, I remember looking at my husband and saying, oh my gosh, like, why did I do that? Like, why, what did I, why did I say that? They are not going to like me now because that, you know, they seem the real me kind of a thing. And as he's like, why can't you just be yourself? Like, why can't you just be strong? And I was like, strong is bad. And I remember saying specifically, like, how can they like me if I don't even like myself? And we'll talk a little bit more about this when we're talking about tools for healing in the next couple of episodes, because there's been some amazing things that I've gone through and have found in the last few years that have just brought immense, immense healing in my heart and my soul and my spirit. I mean, like everything. And I'm able to really operate in a place of authenticity right now and just being authentic and genuine and the person that I really believe God has made me to be just because I'm able to understand myself and my flaws and my sin nature and my gifts and my personality so much better. But as I just was terrified to be this strong woman and my husband just said, why can't you be that way? Why can't you be that person? And thankfully, like I said, I was at this new church and they used a lot of these new tools that have helped. And so I've been able to become this stronger woman in a place of more gentleness and humility, even as I'm stronger and more passionate, which is something that I'm just really excited about. I love it. And we will talk about that. But this whole thing of Deborah and me being a strong woman and it being okay to be the person that I was, like God hadn't made me by accident. He wasn't like, oops, I made Christy a little passionate there, a little strong, a little able to have leadership skills. It wasn't an accident. It's just, it's who I am. He made me this way on purpose. And so being able to just really understand that and recognize that just brought me on this journey of like, what is true biblical womanhood? And I would say like half of what happened and how I've made my discoveries were on purpose of me really trying to research. And the other half just kind of fell into my lap, which is awesome. And I'm going to link in the notes to the show, one of my blog posts, because I have all of the things I'm talking about in that post itself linked. And so it's really easy for you to find all these resources. But as I was looking into just what does it look for biblical womanhood, true biblical womanhood? I reached out to a friend of mine who is um, a mentor. She's a little bit older than me and just kind of got her perspective because she had said some things on Facebook that just really got me thinking. And one of the things she said to me, first of all, was, Christy, if you're going to do this research on womanhood, you need to look up the words Ezer Konegdo. I was like, what? She's like, yes, Ezer Konegdo. It's the Hebrew word, which I'm not, I'm not pronouncing it right because I don't know how to speak Hebrew, but that's how it looks like phonetically. Ezer Konegdo. Look it up. She said, that's the word that gets translated as created to be his help me kind of thing. I'll make a helper suitable for him. I look it up. So I did. I just Googled it. Ezer Konegdo. It's like E-Z-E-R-K-E-N-E-G-D-O. Wow. Ha! That's like the best kept secret of all of conservative Christianity, man. It's like they just ignore it completely. Because Ezer Konegdo or Ezer Konegdo Ha! Is not a little meek helper that sits underneath the man while he does his thing and she just takes care of his house. Ezer Konegdo is a warrior helper. It's like a serious, hardcore helper. The word Ezer is is used for woman when God makes her. 
And it's used as like God being your warrior helper who's going to come to your rescue. Like that's what it's used for in the Old Testament. It's amazing. So it's like a strong helper. It's like a warrior. It's like a teammate, like like a fellow soldier kind of thing. And the connecto part is actually almost like a yin-yang, kind of like different but equal or almost opposite but equal. Like they fit together perfectly. So in our English, we've translated this a suitable help me. It's just, it's a terrible translation. But we don't really have any words in our English language that can really just fully express what that is. So God makes man and then he makes his same but opposite, kind of like a his equal but different companion, his teammate. Like they are one together as they come together and, and become one and give this picture of who God is. They provide the full image of God that he puts on humankind. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So if you want more information about that, like I could talk about this forever, but go online. There are so many amazing resources out there. Talk about empowering women. Like, amazing. I love it. And then I started looking into these verses that had used, been used in my churches for years. So just kind of pushing women down and saying, you can't have leadership. You can't teach Sunday school classes. You can't teach men, blah, blah, blah. And I started looking them up. And 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15 is the one where it talks about the braiding of hair and um, women shouldn't braid their hair or like wear pearls and stuff like that. And that they'll be saved through childbearing. And you're like, what in the world is us talking about? It also kind of talks about women's leadership in the church. You're like, what is this? Well, like I said, in my blog post, there is a video that's linked to this. And it's a man who was doing his thesis, like his doctoral thesis on Ephesus or something like that. I can't remember all the details right now. I haven't watched it in a little bit. But he basically finds this cult of women. And if you read through what they actually taught these women, it was everything that Paul is saying, it's not about this. And it totally makes sense. Like you forget that Paul is writing to an actual person, Timothy, in an actual church situation with actual things that are going on around them that we have no idea about because we don't know all the details. And so, yes, the Bible is inspired by God. And yes, I believe it's literal, but you have to read it in context. You have to understand what's going on around it. And so when I'm listening to this and I'm listening to this, I'm like, wow, this totally makes sense. Like, we have taken that verse completely out of context and used it to say that women can't do these things within the church. I think that's not really true. So the same thing happened to me with 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35. And this happened to me in Bible class when I was learning um, just a few months ago, a couple of years ago now. I don't know. Time goes by. on. And uh, our professor was talking to us about the women should be silent in the church. And he basically, without even like getting into any kind of theological stuff, he just looked at it from a literary language way of looking at it. And you totally see that what's going on, once again, letter to real people in a real situation at a real church with background stuff we don't know about. You can totally see that this church in Corinth was just kind of out of control. And there was a lot of interruptions happening in their services. One of which was women asking questions. But the rest of them were like people just prophesying all at the same time or like speaking in tongues without an interpreter. And there was just this kind of chaos going on. And he he wasn't saying women shouldn't talk in church. He was saying women shouldn't be asking all these questions in the middle of church service because it's just causing more chaos. Like, please ask your husbands at home kind of a thing. And as our as our Bible teacher like laid that out for us, I was like, oh my goodness, that is amazing. 
here we are, all these things that we have been teaching and saying for all these years, and maybe we're just not looking at scripture correctly. Maybe we're not looking at the context. We're not looking at what kind of a book this is. Is it a letter? What's really going on in the situation? We're just taking it like point blank. Like we're literally taking the English translation of an ancient book, in this case, a letter, and we're just slapping it on our modern day experiences. And we can't do that. That is not, that is not a good way to read scripture. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. It's not anything. And so it's really interesting. I feel like my understanding of biblical womanhood has done like a 180 that I went from a place where I thought a biblical woman is like quiet and gentle and submissive and just like serves at home and you know never shares her opinion in front of men and blah 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 to really believing that a biblical woman is going to be a co-warrior with her fellow men like I'm right there with you beside you offering my giftedness and my perspectives and my experience to counterbalance yours and like I said in our marriage one when I was talking about marriage that's how my husband and I operate that's how our marriage operates like we are equal but different teammates on the same playing field. And I love that. I love it. And I find it interesting that all religions tend to kind of put women under or down. If you look at any kind of like a hardcore religious fanatic in any religion, you're going to see women being abused kind of. I mean, honestly, they are just put lower, they are forced under, and the men get dominance. Well, where does that happen from? How does that happen? And I think that really comes down to the curse. It comes down to the fall. When God tells the woman, like, you're going to be under him now. That's not a good thing. I mean, that's a curse. And so in the churches that I grew up in, I felt like that was like almost praise. Like, well, yeah, now, now here's the curse. So this is what happens. Women are under the men. Like, this is how it is now. And I don't think that's true. I think it's almost like an in sin nature. This is what's going to happen. And if you look at Jesus, like he exalted women. He pulled them up. He made them partners with him. They were named. The women were the ones that got to find out that he wasn't in the tomb anymore. I mean, like he went out of his way to talk to the Samaritan woman at the well and let her know that she was the one that gets to share the good news of their whole village. I mean, Jesus went out of his way to reach out and to exalt women. And even the way the gospels are written, all these women mentioned, like that shows you that the people who are writing the gospels also really respected and honored women. I heard an interesting quote the other day that they said in the beginning of Christianity in the early church, that people mocked Christianity as the religion of women and slaves. I thought, isn't that interesting? Like here was the original Christianity that just pulled up the people who are being oppressed, pulled up the women, pulled up the slaves and said, no, 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 you are equal. You are equal within the body of Christ. Like we are all a team. We are all here together. And I love that. I love that. And even in the law, if you look in the law, sometimes the law is used, like in my olden days, is used to kind of push women down. But you got to remember the context of when the law is written. This was a culture that just oppressed women. And so the fact that women were given rights under the law was huge. God is pro-women, but God is also pro-man. And so I think this is where I want to leave this today as we talk about womanhood. It's not patriarchy. Biblical womanhood is not patriarchy, but the man is in the boss and in charge and the women are just underneath and submitting. But it's also not radical feminism where somehow women are better than men and we have to go out there and tell men how terrible they are. Biblical womanhood is equal to. It's alongside. 
It's teammates. It's comrades. It's co-warriors in the faith. It's us doing this together. We're each of us working together for a common goal. That's to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I love this place that I've come to. I love the freedom that I found. I love the truth that I believe I understand now. And so I am excited about that. And maybe some of you guys are listening to this and you're like, yeah, well, I already knew that. Like, I've never had crazy ideas about women anyway. Fantastic. I love it. But there are a lot of Christians out there, even Christians that think that they are more, I guess, I won't say progressive, but like, they're not as fundamental. They're like, oh, we're not fundamental. We're like, you know, just good old evangelicals. But there's still people who are just believing these things about women that are not true. And so I just would encourage you guys, just look at how you believe about people, about male and female. Like, what is this? How can we do this in a way that honors people as image bearers of Christ, as equal image bearers of Christ? Guys, I'm super excited to talk to you guys about these tools that I have been just using in my own life to find healing and hope and help. And the next few episodes, we are going to start covering some of those and just talking about the ways they've helped me. And I sure hope that they will also help you as well. All right, until next time, keep searching. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have you join me over on my website at christylynnwood.com. For more content, free resources, and opportunities to connect with a community of people who are looking for the real God.